Looking to take your career or small business to the next level? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Melissa Washington Show with your host, Melissa Washington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Melissa Washington Show. Of course, this is Melissa Washington, and so glad um, to have you listening um, today. And my special guest that I have on today is Matt Miller with School Spirit Vending, and Matt is also an Air Force veteran. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So um, we're going to talk about School Spirit Vending. We're going to talk about... Um, your career in the Air Force and what you did after and where it got you today and all the great things that you're doing um, to have people start franchises with School Spirit Vending. It's, it's, you have a very unique um, niche, and I'm very um, excited for you to be able to share that today with um, the people listening. And also, too, you had mentioned you have a giveaway, so it just gives people incentive to stay on a little bit longer um, to listen to that um, and what you got to share with that. So first of all, Air Force, is this something as a kid you want to grow up and be a pilot? So, so let's talk about that as far as how, how you got into the Air Force. You know, to be honest, I had nobody in my family that had former military experience. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do except for I knew I wanted to go to school away from home. Um, my parents were teachers. Uh, when I was a Senior in high school, all four of us kids in the family were in a different grade in high school, so we were all literally one, one year apart. And mom and dad told us early on that if we wanted to go to school, we were going to have to figure it out for ourselves. And so I knew I wanted to go to school, and I knew that I really would like to go to school away from home and just kind of get out and explore and, and, and you know, make my own way. And the going into junior year, didn't really know what I was going to do. And a good friend of my dad's, who was an Air Force Academy liaison officer, um, ran into my dad and I at an art show one Saturday morning and asked what my plans were. And I told him I didn't know. And he said, well, have you heard of the Air Force Academy? And I said, no. And he said, well, if you have heard of West Point or Annapolis, it's Air Force's equivalent. And it's in Colorado Springs, right there at the base of the mountains. And he, he painted a pretty pity, a pretty pity pretty picture <laughs> of, uh, of it all, and, and so I looked into it, and it just so happened that I kind of fit the mold as far as what they were looking for, somebody that, that did well in school, but it was also well-rounded, and I'd run track and, and played football and was in 12 different musicals and plays and was in several choirs and, and worked part-time uh, the last year that I was in school, and so I kind of fit the mold without even realizing it at the time and applied and actually got nominated by um, former, well, George Bush Sr. back when he was vice president in the Reagan administration. So anyway, was blessed to go to the academy and then got to my junior year at the academy and had to decide what I wanted to do for a career and found out that the superintendent in charge, who's a three-star general, um, required that you sit in his office and explain why you didn't want to be a pilot if you were medically qualified to be one. And I didn't want the FaceTime with the general, so I figured, what the heck, I'll, I'll go on to pilot training. As ridiculous as that sounds, it wasn't something I wanted to do all my life. I just kind of happened into it. I loved my time doing it for the nine years I did in the military, but um, you know, I was just blessed to, to kind of be able to follow that path 
even though I wasn't planning on it. Very interesting, the, the path that you, that you took. Because a lot of times you know, when, when you talk to pilots, they've always dreamed of being a pilot. Um, so, so what did you do? So you, you were an in, instructor, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was a T-38 instructor pilot for six years in Lubbock, Texas. And then I was a C-5 transport pilot out in Dover, Delaware for three years and got out back in February of 1998 and, believe it or not, have not set foot in a cockpit since. So if it was an emergency situation, would you feel comfortable in the cockpit? If I was the only guy that they <laughs> count on, we'd get the airplane down safely. Okay. Be, well, that's good. That's that, good to know. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's like a lot of ways it's like riding a bike, at least as far as the, you know, the mechanics of, of flying, you know, push forward and the ground gets bigger, pull back, the ground gets smaller, <laughs> you know, throttle forward, you got more power, pull the throttles back and you got less. So um, we, we'd make it work, that's for sure. Good. Okay. All right. So now you, you, know, you're, you get out of the military and what was the plan? So did you have a plan when you got out of the military? You know, I just, being, a, traveling all over the world as a C-5 pilot, not knowing when I was leaving, not knowing when I was coming back, being on alert and all that. I, I had just gotten fed up with, with that kind of lifestyle. We had our first child, Zane, uh, a year before I got out of the Air Force, and I was just ready to do something else. I also was frustrated with the fact that, of course, in the military, a lot of uh, promotion is based purely on time and grade, and thought I could do a lot better for myself on the outside. So didn't know what I wanted to do, except for I did not want to go to the airline, like many of my peers did. Um, the divorce rate is extremely high in the airline community. And once again, I, I'd be gone a good portion of the time uh, from my wife and my son, and I didn't want to be a pen pal to them. So um, got out, decided I was going to make my way in the corporate world, and ended up going through several different junior military officer hiring conferences at the time. Um, had about 60 interviews in the span of two or three months. Really wanted to get a feel for what was out there and, and test the waters. Got several offers, but ended up working um, for Abbott Laboratories, selling hospital diagnostic equipment on the north side of Houston, uh, straight out of the military. So you do that, you work it out. Is that something was interest to you or that's kind of just more of a stepping stone to some other potential things or what, what was that like for you? I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I'd be good at sales. I had done some multi-level stuff while I was still in the military and, and was pretty good at it and knew that I could sell and knew that there was, you know, a, a much higher compensation potential for sales professionals that, were top performers. So that's kind of what I was looking for. But aside from that, I really didn't know. I enjoyed my time at Abbott. The challenge was that you kind of had a route. You kind of had a territory, and there was only so many hospitals in the territory. So, you know, after you'd been to every hospital in the territory, you know, each month or whatever, you kind of had to go back and hit them all again. And it was the same people giving you the same reasons why they could or couldn't do things. And it just, I got bored. And a good buddy of mine who had gotten out of the Army had gotten a job at 
company called Advo at the time. It's now called Velasis. And he said they were hiring and, and recommended me to, to the management there. And I interviewed and um, seemed like something a lot more interesting to me, uh, selling advertising, more specifically direct mail. And, you know, literally any business that had made decisions in and around the, the, the Houston area and that region of the state was game as a customer. So there was always a new customer to talk to every day, always some something new coming up or, or what have you. So it was a lot more appealing to me, and the money, you know, had the ability to be a lot more profitable as well. So you do that, and then what happens next? Do you, do you, have you ever thought about being an entrepreneur at that time? Did that even cross your mind, being an entrepreneur? Well, like I said, I had done some multi-level stuff. What happened yeah. was is, is my first full year at Advo, I ended up being number two in the country out of 750 reps. Part of it was timing, but a lot of it was just sheer determination and hard work. Well, my boss didn't like all the accolades that I got. And so I went from being a hero to a zero the next year because she increased my quota by 96%. Um, the average quota increase in the office was 5 to 10%. So, um, you know, that decision cost my family about 80, 80 grand the next year, and we went into a pretty deep hole. I had already taken a pay cut to get out of the military, and then when, when the compensation got cut based on a decision like that, I, I, we were in a world of hurt. I, at one point in time, had to go through cons- consumer credit counseling service to get you know, interest rates cut to nothing. Uh, I got turned down for a payday loan at a payday loan place right around that period of time. Um, you don't need a credit rating for a payday loan, but you've got to have a bank statement that shows that there's no dings on your, your, your bank statement. And I had three overdrafts the month before. So I ended up, you know, getting turned down for that. So was really, really frustrated and knew looking at the compensation plan that there was no way anytime soon I was going to get out of the hole I was in. So I had to do something. And I started selling books online with Amazon and A-Books and Libris and Half.com. My son and I collected aluminum cans for a while. Man, talk about a messy and stinky situation that is. But anyway, we just kind of did whatever we could. But along that time, I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and learned the whole concept of passive income and not having to be there to make money. And so from that point on, I gauged everything that I looked at and came across against his book. And he had done it in real estate. I couldn't even afford to own a house at that point in time, let alone have rental properties. So I had to do it in a different way. And a good buddy of mine from church mentioned vending and gumballs that he and his young daughters had gotten involved in setting up gumball machines in local area businesses. And I was like, you know, gumball is only a quarter, but it is passive. And so I checked out bulk vending and did a bunch of reading over the span of a month or two and then bought my very first gumball machine for for $32 on eBay from a guy across Houston. So one Saturday morning, loaded up my two oldest kids in my 98 Honda Accord. We drove across town um, to pick up that gumball machine and picked that guy's brain for about an hour when we went to pick it up. 
and found out he had 19 other machines in his garage that he really didn't want to list individually on eBay. So I encouraged him, asked him if he'd hold on to them, and as I had cash flow over the next couple of months, I'd come and buy them all from him. He agreed, and that was the beginning of, of the whole vending thing for me. The next day, I went out and started knocking on doors, and within a couple of days, had that first machine placed. Two weeks later, I went to service it, and it was full of quarters, and I was like, man, this, thing actually, this stuff actually works. And uh, so that was kind of how it all started from there. So pretty much you took, a, in a sense, a horrible situation because, I mean, it affected you professionally but also personally, too, with with the loss of income. So instead of you just moping around or, you know, oh, it, in saying this sucks, which I'm sure you said this sucks, but you took something – something you probably never thought you would have done, right? Dumbbell machines. And that pretty much started your whole entrepreneurship journey of, of where you are today, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, but that's the way it worked. And I, I wasn't too proud. You know, I always said I'd flip burgers if I needed to to, to reach, achieve my dreams. I didn't end up flipping burgers. I did deliver pizzas for a while as we were getting our vending business off the ground on nights and weekends for about 18 months at Pizza Hut. But I, I knew I wasn't a, a sum total of the circumstances that I was in the middle of. I knew I was better than them. I, I just had to figure it out. And so I didn't get down on myself. It, it motivated me to get busy and start to figure some stuff out. And it took a while. It was a long process. You know, my wife would constantly be asking, honey, you know, what are we going to do here and how are we going to do this? And, of course, she's the more security-minded one. I'm the more the, the more the risk taker in the family. But anyway, none of the risks that I took were, you know, nothing could be catastrophic. You know, I was the first gumball machine I bought, I literally could have turned around and sold it for almost twice what I paid for it on eBay. So there was really no risk in what I did. I just slowly started the process of figuring things out and was several years into the candy and gumball stuff, had about 150 locations at that point, built it all on cash flow. I didn't have any money to borrow or didn't have the ability to borrow any money. So I just poured every last penny that I could back into the business. Well, then 07 and 08 hit and the market tanked. And a lot less people were going out to the restaurants and businesses that I had machines in. When they were, little Johnny and little Susie's parents weren't letting them put as many quarters in the machine. So I was looking for a way to, to improve the return on my time. And right around that time, I had four kids come knocking on my door, span of a couple weeks' time, selling stuff for the local schools. And I thought that was odd that the kids were essentially being – salespeople to raise money for their school. I didn't know the kids. Their parents weren't there with them. And I know I wouldn't want have wanted my kids running around, you know, northeastern Houston selling stuff door to door, um, let alone without me being there. So I was like, you know, maybe there's a way I can tie what I'm doing and vending in with school fundraising and maybe get little Johnny and little Susie off the street. So that's where the whole idea of school spirit vending came from because I had been in print media in the advertising space. I knew a little bit about printing. I had printed some uh, custom stickers previously for my vending machines. So I kind of knew how that worked. 
And so we gave it a whirl. And a good buddy of mine was an elementary PE teacher. I shared the idea with him. He thought it was great. Went back to his principal, and she said, hey, let's give this thing a try. So a little elementary school, West Columbia Elementary, down in West Columbia, Texas, southwest of Houston, was the very first school that we tested here now this next month in October is eight years ago. And the numbers that we saw were off the charts. So from there, it was just a matter of figuring out how to get this idea that appeared to work to schools all over the country. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of where things went from there. So talk to me more about, um, about school spirit vending. What is, what is school spirit vending? We specialize in hassle-free fundraising for schools. Essentially, we set up sticker machines in elementary schools primarily. We develop custom stickers for those schools with their mascots and all that, and then set those machines up, and it ends up being a, a hassle-free fundraiser for the school. They get a portion of the revenue from the machines, and it also ends up being a passive income stream for our franchisee. So it ends up being a win-win for everybody. The schools don't have to have volunteers and, and have to focus on our fundraiser. Once it's set up, it just does its thing all year round. And, of course, the operator has the ability to set up a business that fits into the cracks of their life, that uh, is not very time intensive, that allows them to continue their professional career if they choose, but to begin to supplement that with vending and to be kind of at the top of the vending industry, to be honest, with our locations. So with that, so, you know, we talk about franchise, franchising. How would someone know that this is right for them to be a, to be a franchise owner? Well, the biggest thing they've got to ask themselves is, do they want to go out and try to figure things out on their own, or would they rather follow a proven system that, has a track record. Um, I've found a lot of people want to be in business, but they're not of the mindset, nor do they have the time to figure things out for themselves from the very beginning. You know, just figuring out how to start a business, getting a, a checking account, getting a DBA, some of those things are so foreign to people that, that even stuff like that will prevent people from deciding to start a business. Well, with a franchise like like School Spirit Vending, we literally teach them from the ground floor how to do all of that and take them right into a system that we've been working now for eight years in 23 states around the country. Um, so they start with a head start that I didn't have when I got started. Another benefit of SSV is just that it's very, very uh, limited time commitment. If somebody's got a couple days a month, during school, they can, they can put this thing together um, so they don't have to stop what they're doing full time. And it's very inexpensive to get started compared to typical franchises. Someone was telling me the other day uh, the average franchise cost to get started is about $150,000. With SSD, the startup cost is just a little bit over 15000 for one territory if somebody wants to get two territories to start out and have a bigger potential for growth on down the road, you know, it's about 21000 or so. So still very, very inexpensive, comparatively speaking, in the franchise space. 
so that and the, the limited time commitment is extremely appealing to a lot of people. Absolutely. So where would, if someone's interested I mean, in this, where would they find more information on starting a franchise with School Spirit Vending? Uh, our franchise website is SSV for School Spirit Vending, SSVbusiness.com. And our school-facing website, if they just want to see kind of our online business card for schools that are looking into our program, is schoolspiritvending.com. Now, you're in Texas. Can someone start something in a different state, or do they have to be in Texas? Oh, definitely. In fact, uh, much, of Texas, much of Texas is spoken for, so most of our growth at this point is outside of Texas. There are some states that have uh, more stringent registration requirements in order for franchises to do business in that we are not in currently. Um, but you know, if there's somebody that has interest in, in those areas, we'll take a look at their profile and their situation. And if we need to, we'll get the registration done in those states. Um, there's about 13 of them, uh, primarily in the north and, and northeast, that, that have more stringent requirements. And, and we have not performed the registration yet in those states. Great. So, and we talked um, just um, as far as time commitment. So, again, I mean, this is really a great opportunity for someone that doesn't have to put in, you know, 60 hours a week, right? I mean, this is something that can be done just a few hours in a week or depending upon how much they really want to invest their time. Yeah, I mean, I started SSV. I was working full-time in the advertising world, and uh, I had my other vending route as well. And I'm a father of three um, and a husband, very active in my church, etc. So I had a lot on my plate when I got this started. And my wife, because we homeschool, she was – spending the majority of the time doing the schooling of, of, of our kids and running our household. So most of this was on me, and I literally fit it into the cracks of my life. I would, you know, stamp and address postcards at night. I'd send emails at night and on weekends. I'd take some vacation time here and there to do some servicing or take advantage of holidays. I, I literally did whatever I had to do to make it happen, and um, it wasn't convenient at times. But I wanted the result that I have today, and that's freedom to do whatever the heck I want. And there's a lot of people on our team who have chosen to do the same, though there's a bunch of them that still continue to do what they do today full time, and they're just using SSV as a supplement. Got it. What's, what's the most popular product or most popular item that's sold? You know, most of the products that we create for the schools, we actually manufacture and design ourselves. Hmm. The, probably the most popular product we've ever had is, is something we call funny money. And all it is is it's a takeoff on, on paper money. And we've developed some really neat designs. We've put some facts and figures about the U.S. financial system on the back for the kids. And, you know, they'll play with it as if it was real money. And, um, you know, we've got schools all across the country that talk about, you know, how creative the kids get with that stuff. It's, it's crazy. You know, most of what we sell is stickers, but for whatever reason, um, that age group, uh, the funny money product just really hits home with them. Hmm. Very interesting. 
So last couple a uh, couple months ago, or even just last month, you you started your own podcast. So so talk about the the guest or what your what your format is on your podcast. Yeah, actually, believe it or not, I started two. One, the first one I started was uh, it's an internal podcast for our franchisees called SSV Radio, and we do um, you know talk about success principles talk about different tips and tricks of the trade. We interview team members, share the success stories, uh, share best practices and all that. And to date, we've got about 22 episodes of that 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 we've rolled out over the last couple of months. That's been huge for our team because so many of them are on the go doing so many things that they can learn mowing the lawn or working out at the gym or driving to and from work or what have you. So the passive learning has been really big in helping build our community. The other external podcast I I launched is called School Zone Podcast. Uh, It's available on iTunes and at schoolzonepodcast.com. And essentially what it is, it's a place where school administrators, educators, and volunteers can go to find out some of the latest and greatest resources and school fundraising companies that uh, are available to them in their schools. I found in the fundraising space over the last eight years that information is kind of limited in a lot of cases, especially for folks that are in more rural communities. The only place they can really go is you know, a web page or two online or talk to somebody on the phone and try to get questions answered or attend a trade show. Um, the challenge with that is the fact that the conversation is normally a couple minutes long because there's so many people that are trying to get information. So what we do is interview those companies, resource companies, and fundraising companies, and in the process, give them a forum to share more about you know, how they got their company started, a little bit of a backstory behind what they do and how they do it and why they do it, and then a lot of the specifics about their program and the benefits to the schools. Um, we've released, I think, five episodes so far. And, you know, it's a very niche podcast, but there's a huge community out there that we're hoping to serve as time goes on who are looking for new and innovative companies to potentially work with. And we do a lot of that legwork for them. All they've got to be willing to do is listen. Now that's fantastic, and I love that you've set up an internal one because um, that's that's definitely an added benefit for your franchise owners. And and again, you talk about when they're because they're on the go, just to be able to listen and to get learning why they're doing something else or why they're driving or say or mowing the lawn. Um, to be have that, that's definitely a huge benefit as a franchise yeah. owner to be able to have that. That's fantastic. I, I love that. I was doing blo- I was doing blogging before, and I still do some blogging, but I found that. Writing for me is difficult. I'd start a post, have a great idea, and it would be weeks before I could actually get it cranked out. I can't. And and I found out that um, my team, because they're so busy, oftentimes wasn't getting the communication because they didn't have time to stop and read. So the the podcast is a great supplement, and it's quickly becoming our primary source of, of information distribution. And what's really neat is it allows folks in our team to get to know one another in a more intimate way because we've got people spread out all over the country. Many of them have never met one another, 
But now with a podcast, they can get to know them, their struggles, their successes, their best practices, you know, the top products that, that they see working for them and their machines, um, you know, advice and tips and tricks of the trade that they may have innovated or, or come up with. It, it's really, really been powerful. And it's fun for me to take all the focus off of me and, and shine it on them and for them to have an opportunity to share because they probably have never had an opportunity to do that otherwise. That's fantastic. That's the first time I've I've heard that, and it's great that this is something that's not coming from a large corporation but it's coming from an entrepreneur like yourself um, to be inventive that way and innovative and to bring learning the way people want the learning. So, again, they don't have time, may not have time to read the blog post, but they'll have time to listen and also for others to be able to share too. That's love it, love it. Well, and, and what's cool too is the fact that, as an example, iPhone users they can subscribe in iTunes to the SSV Radio podcast just like any other podcast. It's private to our team, so it's not available available to everybody on iTunes. But we've got it set up to where they can still get it where they're getting all their other podcasts anyway. So it's really pretty cool the way it all works out. When other companies start doing that, you just make sure you said you you, you started this. <laughs> it came from you. Well, good. So, um, share both websites again, please, for the, the franchise as well as um, the School Spirit Vending. Um, to look at the products. Yeah, SchoolSpiritVending.com is the website for our, for the schools, and then for the franchise side of things, it's SSVBusiness.com. Great. And you mentioned about a giveaway, so please share. Yeah, you know, because of the Kiyosaki message, because of the whole idea of passive income, and because vending has been so powerful for me in my life, I, I wrote a short ebook or short pamphlet just to kind of share with folks some of what I've learned along the way. Um, it's called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Start a Vending Business. And for your audience, they just need to go to ssbusiness.com forward slash Melissa uh, to download it. Ooh, all right. That should be easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. No, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your story as far as, you know, Air Force and transitioning out and then from, you know, from, from the – coming from, you know, in a sense, the corporate America and having all that and the, the way everything turned out. I mean, the way you, you turned everything around and, you know, it, it happens and I'm, I, I can relate um, a lot of, to the, a lot of that as well. So it's, it's all about what we make of, of the situation. Um, but I think, too, it makes us even stronger and more people can relate to that. Um, and look, I mean, your your business is just is just thriving. And who would have thought, right, selling some, taking gumball machines and now doing what you do now. Um, yeah, you know, Melissa, I, I believe God puts us through things in our life for a reason. And uh, was it fun, the, the struggles that I went through? No, no. But looking back on it now, I realized that I had to go through those struggles to, to become the person I needed to be to be able to head up a, a national team in what we do today. And um, I'm a lot more empathetic because of it. I'm a much better leader because of it, and I have a much better understanding of where people have are potentially coming from on the financial side of things.
because I've been there and done that. And so what's powerful is the fact that I can help somebody in a similar financial situation, give them hope, and give them guidance on how to work their way out of it. It's systematic. It takes time. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have patience because we've got a microwave society that we live in today. But the reality is you can get yourself out of just about any situation you're in. You just got to have a long-term vision and, and be patient. Yep, I, I agree. Got to have that patience. And you're right. We want stuff to happen so quickly. Or if it doesn't happen in a month, then we're, you know, we're giving up. So you, we just can't. We you can't give up. And totally agree that God does put us through um, and we don't realize at the time when we go through that why we're going through it until we're able to look back on why we were had to go through that um, right. situation. So I, I fully agree with that. Well, again, Matt, it was so great um, to talk to you and share um, your your story, and I, I love it. And um, hopefully, you know, maybe one of the listeners will be interested. It'd be great too if we get maybe a success story of someone listening and they end up becoming one of your franchise owners. So. That would be awesome, Melissa, and it was a pleasure getting a chance to talk to to you, and uh, you know, God bless you and, and your business as well. All right. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, you know where to, to find um, Matt and schoolspiritvending.com, and if you're interested in becoming a franchise owner, I'm also, too, listen to um, his podcast as well if it's something you might be interested in, or just take a look at it. You never know. It might just be something that might be of interest um, to you again. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the Melissa Washington Show. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Melissa Washington Show. Branding, career transitioning, marketing, you name it, she's got you covered. Head on over to MelissaWashington.com to stay up to date and get access to past shows. We'll see you next time.